Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Erica Pierce, and joined, as always, by Eric Trexler. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing well, Erica. Looking to find out the secret to security today. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a perfect segue because we have a guest that's going to do just that, right? <laughs> we have Chase Cunningham, who is a principal analyst at, at Forrester uh, Research. Hi, Chase. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So just for our listeners to know, before we um, usually start this, these podcasts, we, we do a little bit of a prep with our guest. And um, Chase, you just said something that I think is a good place for us to start. You said we've been doing it wrong when it comes to cybersecurity um, for 30 plus years, and you feel like we're just now starting to, to, do, to do it right. So what have we been doing wrong? Let's just start there. Well, I mean, you know, it's not that uh, it's not that anyone sort of maliciously went out there and architected environments, you know, with the idea of let's let's figure out how we can make this as uh, ownable as possible. But the perimeter based model of security like has is categorically failed. And the fact that we still have organizations that are you know running roughshod into this thing about building up really high walls and keeping the bad guys out like that's that's the wrong way of thinking about it. And we can't continue to. Uh, you know, propagate that misery uh, and, and think we're actually going to fix the problem. Um, so it's it's one of these deals where no one did anything, you know, quote, wrong. But what we kind of, you know, did was set ourselves up for failure. And if we don't change the approach, all we get is more failure. So, so Chase, one of the inherent problems with perimeter-based security is that it, it, it grants access based on implicit assumptions. Yeah, on trust. <laughs> on trust. Why do we do it. I mean, why, if we know that this doesn't work, if we know that the adversary can, can you know, breach the perimeter, you know, I, I remember Dimitri, Dimitri used to put a slide up now the CTO of CrowdStrike, you know, the, the higher the wall we built, the, the taller, the ladder, the adversary right. builds, right. And they can always build a taller ladder than the wall. Why do we do it? Well, and it's it's for a couple things. Number one is is ease, right? We've been doing this for the last thirty years, and it's always hard to actually implement change. Like anytime, anytime you do something that requires uh, you know strategic change and whatnot over the long term, like there's a there's a discomfort that comes, and no one wants to be uncomfortable. Like that's <laughs> you have to realize that this is you know a failed approach, and we have to basically have leaders that'll stand up and say, we're going to do things differently, even though it's going to suck. So like get ready to embrace the suck a little bit. And then the last side is, is people are familiar with that old approach. It's so it's a warm, fuzzy sort of, you know, we can do this. It's, it's been there. This is how we've done it. Um, and that, that just can't continue. It's, it's a, it requires a bit of, you know, discomfort and a change in thinking. And if we don't do that, then all we have to look forward to is more of the same. Your Navy's coming out in you. I love the embrace the suck. <laughs> yet, yet we continue to embrace the suck. We have very smart people who continue to do more of the same. You know, when I talk to customers all the time, they talk about getting away from the perimeter and then they focus their spend on firewalls yeah. or they focus their their attention on, you know, the the latest endpoint solution 
if something's going to get through the perimeter, but they create almost like a micro perimeter at the endpoint that isn't going to work. Well, I mean, I mean, we've we've actually been even if you look at how we design infrastructure, right? We've still been designing infrastructure the way that you build buildings, where it's the sort of waterfall methodology for infrastructure of you know do a bunch of stuff and then shove it out there and then come back later on and try and fix the problems. Where if you look at what virtualization is actually built to enable, you can have what I kind of call agile infrastructure, and that's how you design and iterate and test and build. And that's how you move from perimeter-based old approach to new approach. Well, let me ask you a question then. One of the components I see all the time, and when I talk to peers, both commercial, government, international, local, you know, U.S. government, really doesn't matter, is the disconnected nature between security and operations and the business. And when I say operations, really IT operations. Sure. So when 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 the business is looking to do something, whether that's a military organization, civilian government, commercial, doesn't matter. The, the, the disjointedness between the IT operation side and the business is pretty high. With cloud, it's getting even worse in many cases, not all, but many. And then the disconnected nature between security and IT ops is also high. Don't we have to break those walls down? I mean, those, those are perimeters in themselves, aren't they not? Oh, yeah. Well, and it's it's something that uh, I do a lot of these, you know, sessions with folks. And part of that whole thing is is actually educating them. security is a business enabler and security. If you're doing it correctly, is something that you can put out into the market and it makes people leverage your services and buy more and et cetera from you because you you as a consumer, you want to know that all this digital stuff that your organizations are leveraging is safe and secure. And when it boils down to it. You know, it is becoming a buying decision whether or not an organization can stand up and say, we have a security strategy, like we know what we're doing. This is our proof. Um, people are starting to drift away from just, you know, buying everything from someone and, and crossing their fingers and hoping that they don't wind up, you know, with a mega breach. I'm glad you're seeing that. It's yeah. it's slow, but it's starting to come. I mean, I, I'm the fact that now I'm getting invited to do. Uh, lots of uh, briefings and stuff with boards at big companies. The, it, they understand that it is a business enabler and that it is a competitive differentiator, which is a really, really good thing. Do, and what about with government, though, right? I mean, government is, is different from the, the commercial sector. So do you feel as though, though it's, it, it, you're making business decisions, but do you feel as though they're also um, taking that shift as well? Well, I mean, luckily, the government is um, has been getting punched in the face in cybersecurity for so long that they've been I mean, they, they've had to get good at it, whether they wanted to or not. And the government is one of the few organizations that uh, is actually sort of leading this whole thing. And, and folks forget that. Right. This is the only <laughs> industry where we actually follow what the Fed does, because the Fed is the leader. Normally, you would never say that the okay. Fed is the leader in anything. I was going to say you don't hear that that too often. So, <laughs> that's well, and we see we, we see great examples in Fed, and at least I do. And then I see I I see horrible examples where the fact that they're on mainframes and still working with COBOL is some of the best protection some organizations have. So it it does vary also, but there are definitely groups within the government that excel. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a veteran and uh, I'll, I'll say that, you know, just like the VA system, if you go look at how they've, you know, done it for the the users of that system, 
um, it makes it where, you know, it's, it's hard to even leverage that, that entire apparatus. And, uh, it, for a lot of people I know that our vets have been literally trying to figure out ways not to have to jump into that network. And so that like, to me is a great instance of, uh, not making security usable for the user and they go somewhere else. Like it's more convenient to go to the VA office than to use the VA website. Wow. Erica, what do you think about that for your from your experience with millennials? Will that resonate well? No, I mean, it does. I mean, we, we know, especially with um, younger generations, and that's something that there's been a lot of discussion about in the VA now. You always think of veterans of being, you know, um, baby boomers and older, but, you know, you have a much younger generation of veterans. And so if there are workarounds or um, things that make it easier just because of access issues, certainly they, they will do that. Well, so they'll have to they'll have to Google where the local VA office is, <laughs> hospital system or clinic. Then they'll get in a zip car or an Uber to drive over there, <laughs> all because they couldn't get the service online via their phone or their watch. Oh yeah, right. Well, and uh, you actually made a good point about the next generation that that I've actually been reminding people of is uh, like the older generation. We have an issue with kind of Big Brother and monitoring and people looking at what we're doing online, where when you talk to the, the kids that are coming into the workforce now, they've grown up in an area where they were always online. They mm -hmm. were always doing stuff digital. Funny enough, they're actually more okay with being monitored if they know that there's a reason that it's happening for the purposes of which they're employed. Um, if, if you talk to them, they're, they're, they're like, okay, I understand what you're doing. You know, you got to do what you got to do. I'm used to being digital. Just do it. Whereas the older generation are the ones that will say like, no, I don't want you monitor me. Like, don't big brother me. Very true. We've done a couple of podcasts where we've talked about that. And it's again, it's just because if you've grown up with the phone in your hand and access to the Internet everywhere you go, it's just <laughs> it, it, it's a, it doesn't seem like a big deal to know that you're being monitored or, you know, things are being checked. So talk, talk to me about the move to the cloud, Chase. Does that make this easier or more difficult? The perimeter is dissolving. It's it's absolutely changing. Move to the cloud, easier or harder? Uh, well, so if you do it correctly, it can make it easier. If you do it with the same old approach, it can make it much much harder. Um, if you if you actually leverage the cloud for you know like virtualization and design and iteration and that type of thing, you can get real benefit from it. If you just say well, this is what we did in my on-prem network. Let me just go shove this in the cloud and it'll be different. Like that's that's a fool's errand. It, it just doesn't work that way. And I see a lot of that in the, I, I see both in the government. Obviously my background is mostly government here. Um, I, I see a lot of that where they literally will lift and shift an entire operation to the cloud because some director said cloud first. Right. <laughs> and, and they don't know how to spin up and spin down resources. They don't understand the virtualization concept. They don't understand that security is required, that is, it isn't provided by Amazon and Microsoft on your users, your data, your applications necessarily. And yeah, just the expense just, goes just up. <laughs> It just becomes cloud. Cloud-enabled misery is what it becomes. <laughs> but you check that box. Oh, yeah. You're in the cloud. You're in the like cloud. You've taken what you had, and now you've shoved it up there. So hopefully you got it right. Uh. So, Chase, what do, you, what do you see when you look into the future in terms of, uh, you know, this I mean, new direction, change of mindset, change in um, incorporating security into how we do business, all of those things? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to continue to be uh, where security and the, you know sec- the secure nature of infrastructure is going to be a competitive differentiator. I think that a lot of the technologies that are coming into place, like self-sovereign identity, biometrics, uh, virtualization, is going to kill off a lot of these painful security apparatus like endpoint security, like VPNs, like passwords, and it's going to become where security is built in. But it's going to take a while to get there. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm already seeing it, you know, doing the industry analyst side of things, where the trend is is starting to show that that is achievable. But it still is going to require people to, you know, decide that that's how they want to architect these environments to live that way. Because it really comes down to ensuring that I, the user, am who I am portraying myself to be, right? At yeah, the end of the day, this is that you should. And that's that's it. Like you and you I'm do doing what I should. And that's it. Whether intentionally or maliciously, I'm also doing what I have access to and what I should be doing. Correct. Yeah. And the you know, the other thing that comes up all the time is the the way, you know, sort of endpoints have been put together is I have like an Intel, you know, Xenon seven processor and I have all this power power on my machine when for the majority of. The work that I do, I use PowerPoint and Word. I don't need all that hmm. horsepower. I need all that capability. All that's good for is enabling malicious things to occur. So give me an image that only has those things I need to do my job. Everything else, just you know, ship it off somewhere else. You could you could run an entire enterprise with entirely virtualized desktops and be okay. Erica is going against my gen- generational uh, challenges here. <laughs> I love having my MacBook Pro with an incredible amount of power that I'm, I have administrator rights on, and I can do what I want to do. You're, you're killing. The bad it. guys love that too. Like that's yeah, exactly that's what a I good want. point. <laughs> so this is what, where I think my Gen X background is just killing me. <laughs> Taste tr- true or false? Are are humans the weakest link in any organization when it comes to security? No, I don't think humans are the weakest link. I think actually architecture is the weakest link. I think humans are the ones that that enable that architecture to, uh, you know, start to topple over. Because, um, I mean, people are people. We shouldn't build systems uh, based on the fact that people kind of do dumb things and, you know, people do whatever. But it should be built where the architecture is built where they don't they don't cause that massive failure. You, you might be a problem. But your problem is at least localized. It shouldn't be, oops, you know, Sally screwed up. Let's just knock the entire you know system over. So are you saying the architecture should support the users, but also prevent them from doing intentional or unintentional bad things? Correct. Yeah. And we should build architectures that way. Yep. Yep. Okay. So and I, I mean, I don't. I'm I'm a proponent of the. I don't think you can train your way out of this. Like people, like to your point, still do dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can train them all day long and get them the next day on a phishing email. But if your architecture is designed correctly, I really don't care if people are going to cause problems because they can't cause a massive problem. They cause a, you know, I'm okay with a, a, a cut from a, a piece of paper. I don't want an arterial bleed. Chase, you right. must listen to our last uh, podcast where I uh, confessed that I had recently clicked on a phishing email, <laughs> even oh, though I co-hosted I wasn't going to go there. Podcast. Yeah. And she didn't report it to IT, Chase. <laughs> and she knew about it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to transition then. We, we would be remiss without bringing up the concept of zero trust 
although I'm not sure I love the name. I was doing some research and I saw one of your uh, tweets, Jate. The first person that walks up to me at RSA and asks, <laughs> have you heard of Zero Trust gets a high five. The first person that has no idea what Zero Trust is, but sales pitches it anyway, gets punted. <laughs> Zero Trust, machine learning, and artificial intelligence are these three concepts that nobody understands in my experience, but they all talk I, I about. I think I understand Zero Trust. <laughs> I'm sorry. There are a couple of people. Customer-wise, I hear over and over again, machine learning, artificial intelligence, zero trust. That's how we're going to fight our way out of this problem. But people don't understand. They, they, they don't understand the, 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 the technology concept areas very well. I love the, but sales pitches it anyway, gets punted. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's what I'm, uh, that's what I, I, I try all, all day long to basically get in the middle of the, the market marketing stuff and the, the truth behind it. Cause there's a benefit to that grand strategic approach of enabling zero trust. And what we mean there is essentially eliminating, you know, lateral movement and overly uh, subscribed uh, admin creds and all the things that you kind of know you shouldn't have in an architecture and focusing on getting it to zero, not some, not a little bit, we want zero and then being able to architect around that. And it's, it's, there is a difference between the marketing side of it and the reality of what you're going to bring into that space. Eric, I think we have a big chasm here between the two in my experience. No, no, I would agree. I would agree. It's funny because, um, we, we hear so many different viewpoints on the podcast, so it's always interesting to hear someone else's perspective. That's a little bit different than what we've heard before. So what, what do we, what do we do, Chase? What do we do with zero trust? How do we, how do we really get down to the intent as opposed to the marketing speak around it? Well, I mean, it's one of those things where an organization has to basically say like, look, if we're going to have a secure enterprise and architecture, what are the, the minimum things that we have to have to get there? And that's where we put together the framework that we did ZTX to say, these are the seven core components that you need to get to zero trust. And then we basically do the analysis on the market and which vendor solutions meet that need because let's face it, like you may have a, a vendor capability that offers you four or five or six pieces of that puzzle, but there's always going to be something else that you need to add in. So the goal of that whole thing is to say, without ever looking at uh, the, the straight up vendor side of what do I have to have technically to enable me to get to zero trust? Okay, I understand that. Now, based on those components, which solutions enable me to get there with that technology. Mm-hmm. And and just out of curiosity, and of course not naming any names or anything like that, but do you sure. feel as though um, are most of the solutions hitting those seven core components for, for ZTX or is it more, much more marketing speak and less, <laughs> or, or more getting punted? No, there's, I mean, there's some really good solution sets that are well aimed at that. Uh, and interesting, you know, there, there kind of is a, a two sides of the coin. There's the platform sort of play where the solutions will be three or four of those core components that are offered and they're offered in kind of a package. Or there is, we are really good at X and this X piece fits into zero trust very well. And so there, you know, there still is a, um, a decision point that has to be made by the end user of, do I want to go with as much platform as I can get and drink a lot of that Kool-Aid or do I want to try and put this together 
with seven different core components from seven different solutions providers. And what are you seeing in the market? Uh, I see uh, it's it's based on the maturity of the of the organization. If it's very mature organization that's been you know steeped in security for a long time, they typically want to go the platform route because they you know understand how to get the most bang for that buck from that singular provider. If it's an organization that's less mature, they typically are trying to bring in uh, you know the best of breed from five or six or seven different capabilities and tie them together, which. Either way will work, but it still doesn't matter unless you have a strategy and a plan to get there. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we will see what the future holds, but uh, <laughs> it looks like, to your, to your point earlier, at least we are seeing um, the, the mindset, the thinking about how we approach cybersecurity to start to shift in the, in the, in the right direction or towards the right direction. Yeah, I mean, it's a slow glacial move. It's a, I mean, this is a battleship, right? You know, it takes a while to turn it, but, uh, you know. With a, a popsicle of, stick. Yeah, <laughs> a breeze is, uh, is a good turn. So how do you see data in the middle of the zero trust architecture or model? So data is the core component of security. And I think people kind of forget that because there's all this other sexy, cool, tangential thing that we do. But that's why we're in security is to secure data. Um, you know, no one breaks into a bank to say they're in a building, they break into a bank to take money. That's what data is, is the currency. Data is the goal, mm-hmm. right. That's what they're coming for. And um, it's it's really important to make sure that you understand across the entire life cycle of zero trust that data is why you're doing what you're doing. And if the solution doesn't enable you to do better data security via segmentation or isolation or authentication, like any one of those, then it's not a solution that actually meets the need for zero trust. I find a lot of our customers focus on the identity and access management side of zero trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they talk a little bit about micro segmentation, but many many don't quite understand what that is or how to effectively implement that. And most are challenged. Going back to the beginning of this conversation, they don't understand the data. They don't understand risk in the organization which means they never understand the value of the data, who should have access to it, how they should protect it. And, you know, obviously we spend a lot of time on data here, uh, not, not a commercial, but because of that, I really understand, you know, we, we drill into customers and it's very apparent they don't understand the value of different types of data in most cases. Do yeah. you see the same thing? I see that all the time, and that's where um, I think I've taken a different approach to the new sort of a side of zero trust instead of the old, where I, I've never told anyone ever, like, let's go off and do this data discovery, classification, schematizing, blah, blah, blah side of it. Cause, you lost me already. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, honestly, that, that solution set doesn't exist doesn't work. in the market. It's not there. And one user can create data so fast, so, you know, uh, quickly that it just – it negates that whole approach. So I, that's why I think that the difference is being made on finding out what the users are doing, how they're accessing that data, and then securing it based on that approach, not spending all of your time trying to do this data discovery and schematizing thing that there, I mean, there is not a solution on the market that enables that. Well, we actually, I, I think we saw that as old school DLP, right? Yeah. We're going to come in and protect everything and, and, that was a really uh, – I don't think a lot of organizations were very successful with that approach. No, everyone I've run into that wanted to do legacy DLP, you know, basically they're wanted to get off the bridge. Yeah. yeah, they're still doing it. You've, you've got to understand behavior, human behavior and intent. And, 
you know, the, the, the data is important. It, it's not just put a policy out there to scan it, though. I agree with you. Well, and I mean, ultimately, what you know, who uses that data? That's that's what matters. Like the data, mm-hmm. data just is without users. Who cares? It's there, right? Right. Who uses it? What their intent is? How they're planning on using it? Um, and, and you can baseline off of that. Okay. So, where are you with your YouTube channel on Doctor Zero Trust? Uh, so yeah, I've got a few videos out there. I'm uh, getting ready to put another one out. And my 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 goal there actually kind of to your your point earlier is I deal with so many small and mid-sized organizations that don't have the wherewithal to understand a lot of these, you know, big security plays and concepts is I'm just trying to boil it down and, and put it into very succinct, very clear and concise usable terms for those uh, small and mid-sized organizations so that they can get the value out of it just like the big boys can. That's good stuff. Think- Where can users check it out? What should they search on YouTube? Just look on uh, Dr. Zero Trust. I'm the only one there. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's pretty easy to find me. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a, an interesting channel. And I mean, the, the, the thing that, you know, really try to get across is like, look, this is practical stuff. I'm not, I'm not in there putting out the, the unsolvable problems. Like this is real world. I, I literally did a video called Zero Trust Buttons. And it was, you know, this is how, this is how simple this is. Awesome. So I, I want to, as we wrap up here, I want to swerve a little bit on you, Chase. Why'd you join the Navy? Uh, well, to be perfectly honest, it was so I could get the hell off my parents' farm when I was 17. <laughs> <laughs> I joined the Army for the same reason. And my grandparents had the farm across the street, but to uh, to uh, get out of the house, yeah. Yeah, I had, to, I had to figure out a way to get off the farm because I was tired of being free labor. So I joined the Navy and became a different kind of free labor. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. We appreciate what you've done for the country in your service. And, and my request would be, I think I think you, the big mission ahead of you is simplifying security, getting that message out for the world, regardless uh, of where, where yeah. you are. Just Thanks. simplifying yeah. security and getting something where we can get tangible results and stop doing the same old, the same old that doesn't work. Well, and you know that's that I, I sh- you know really appreciate that, and I mean that's that's my uh, mission in life is is to just to make it where you know people can understand how how important this stuff is. That's why I did the comics I did for kids in cybersecurity. Like the the goal of this is just to help you know everybody, in my opinion, be be a little bit safer because um, safety matters. Yeah, I think when it's less intimidating, um, it it does. I, I think it has more of an impact. And we can go further. Yeah. So, and I mean, well, this is solvable. Like, this is not, you know, this is not. Uh, I mean, rocket science. Like, there are things you do, things you put in place, and ways you approach it that can make a difference. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you we so much, Chase. So. <laughs> this was such a great discussion. Uh, really appreciate your time today. I think we've covered wow <laughs> a number of great topics. So, really, really thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you all for having me. It's great talking to you. Chase, until we speak again, thanks. Thank you. Yep. Y'all have a good one. Thank you. And thank you, you to all of our listeners out there for tuning in this week. Please continue to subscribe, share, share the podcast, as well as uh, drop us a note. Let us know what you think or what you would like to hear about us talk about next. So thank you and have a great week. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 